The Lord be with you. And I want to briefly again thank those people that make this possible. Um, we, we are heard throughout the world by multitudes of people, but we are supported in so doing by just a, a few of you. And I want to thank you. Every time we receive your gift, we give thanks to God and for your obedience to his Spirit. And so the blessing of the Lord come upon you and bless you in your finances as you have made this possible to countless thousands of people. Okay, I want to look at one thought in Second Chronicles in chapter 20. I say one thought. We, we have done five hours of teaching on this chapter. It's a vital chapter in Scripture. Um, the, the five hours, we call it, what is it? The, um, <laughs> it's about prayer, anyway. Um, and um, I want to take, as I say, one or two thoughts from this. And so, chapter 20 of Second Chronicles, um, it begins by telling us that all the enemies of this king, whose name was Jehoshaphat, back in the days of Israel and Judah, all of his enemies, who normally would not like each other, but they've all got together to come against him, it is a demonic force that has decided to put down all differences to come together with their one desire, which is to wipe out Jehoshaphat and the people wherein is the promise of Jesus. And so they come, and Jehoshaphat receives the intelligence the last thing he ever expected that they would get together, and the route that they took uh, was um, almost impossible to navigate, but they did it, so they came by surprise, and the intelligence came to Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you. And it says in verse 3, Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout Judah, and all Judah gathered to seek help from the Lord. Okay, and then you have the prayer of Jehoshaphat, which is a most magnificent prayer, um, and, and is a study by itself, but in verse 12, as he comes to the end of the prayer, he says, we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And then it gives us the picture of their helplessness in verse 13. It says, all Judah, that's the tribal family, were standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. Most of those who would protect the land were elsewhere at this time. The enemies had chosen a time when Jehoshaphat was essentially without anyone to help him. And so that was his prayer. And then the Spirit of God comes upon the people, and the word comes in verse 15. The Spirit says, Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Then in verse 17, you need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves, stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. And so they take that, and the Levites, who are going to come into their own in a few minutes, but they responded to that word from God, and it says they praised the Lord with a very loud voice. So then they get up early the next morning, which meant they slept a deep sleep through the night with no fear, because 
the Lord had spoken. And so in verse 21, Jehoshaphat consults uh, with his advisors, and he appointed those who sang to the Lord, those who praised him in holy attire, or I prefer the older translation, praised him in the beauty of holiness, as they went out before the army. And this was their song, Give thanks to the Lord, for his loving kindness is everlasting. In verse 22, when they began singing and praising the Lord, well, the Lord set an ambush against the enemies, and they were routed, and they destroyed one another. Okay, that, that's the area that I want to speak about, and um, I, I want us to really get into the head of Jehoshaphat, because what happened to him, although it's a unique story to a unique time, but I think every one of us have been there, when there comes upon us such an attack of darkness or such a coming together of circumstances that leaves us almost without breath and we we stand looking at it dazed paralyzed amazed you know it can happen so suddenly the the email that you open and before you've finished it, it it's happened you stand you're, you're sitting there reading it and and all hope has drained out of you it's something that you never expected or a visit to the doctor or well, I keep keep going. Those those happenings, a word spoken on a sunny day, suddenly turns everything into darkness. And he, he says, when he heard this, he was afraid. I'm so glad the Holy Spirit made sure we knew that. You see, when I I, I receive news like this, when something happens that takes my legs away under me, it, he said he was afraid. Please, please don't look at yourself as this mighty person of faith and power, and, and and you never have a reaction to life. Yes, you do have a reaction to life, because the very first report comes to us through our five senses. And so it's what I see, it's what I hear, it's what I smell, it's what I touch. And in so doing, that comes with not the the five senses do not only merely report what's happening they bring their interpretation of what's happening and it's a natural reaction of my human person to feel fear it's what we do with that that that's the issue where am i going to go with that and if I walk in the flesh, then I will go with the fear, and there will be no other thought in my mind except the report of the five senses. But if we are walking in the Holy Spirit, our fear is the trigger that will immediately turn our attention to seek the Lord. Now, do not, um, when it says seek the Lord, uh, that that's rather an archaic way of saying it. Unfortunately, it's become the only way we say it in our churches. But um, seek the Lord, it doesn't mean he's lost. To seek the Lord doesn't mean that he's not around and you've got to check up to see where who saw him last sort of thing. No, to seek the Lord means the turning of my attention away from all distractions and focusing on the one who never leaves nor forsakes and is never lost from us. It is that intentional turning away from contemplating the situation and drowning in the situation. I turn away from that with intention to open my whole being to the God who is doing something here and and so it's it's a discarding of everything else that would take my attention 
and I now am open to him. Or could I say, I am aligning with him. I'm bringing all my thoughts into line with him to see what he's doing and what he would have me do. It's that moment of uh, stillness, although biblical stillness is never an empty mind. It, It is a mind that has deliberately, intentionally stilled from all the chaos of the moment to what's up, Lord? What are you doing? Um, the word seek in the Hebrew language, its most uh, original meaning is to tread a path. That is, that this is where I always tread. When, when, when life is happening around me or when it isn't, I am forever turning my attention and treading a path into the heart of God. And so he says he, he's afraid. That's his first natural reaction, which he immediately turns on its head and uses that as the trigger to open himself up to God and say, what are you about to do? I find it beautiful that he said this publicly. You say, I mean, how do you how do you know the he prayed this prayer? If he prayed this silently, you'd never know it, would you? If he prayed it when he was alone in a back room somewhere in the palace, you would never have known it. No, he prayed this prayer in public, and you find that as soon as he'd finished, there is a a number of people there that are involved in the answer. What what, what do I say that for? This this king, and kings especially in those days, they, they were chaps who were supposed to know what to do. In fact, the word king is an ancient English word which means the one who can, King Can. He's, he's, he's the canner. He, he's the one who can do it. It doesn't matter what's going on. He's the king. He can do it. Well, more so even the more ancient days, the, the position of king held that idea. And here, that this man publicly confesses that in his own self, he doesn't have a clue what to do or which way to turn. And he confesses and acts in word, um, de- describing a helpless dependence upon God. Confesses that he is deriving all wisdom as to what to do in this situation and all strength wherewith to do it it's up to you, Lord. Did you notice, though, I read that last phrase of the prayer. He says, we are powerless. We're powerless before this great multitude. We do not know what to do. I try, try and feel this. Feel, feel the day. Everybody's heard the news and now the king has come, and they're expecting leadership. They're expecting someone who can to to lead them. And instead, he stands up and he says, we're going to pray, and I'm calling everybody from all over the countryside to come and call upon God, because we are powerless against this multitude. We do not know what to do. Can can you feel that? If that was the only sentence he prayed, then he's admitting to be a helpless victim of these bullies that have gotten together to eradicate him and the people. Did you understand? That statement taken by itself, we're powerless, we don't know what to do. That means then Jehoshaphat, you're in a corner, It means that these people that have set up against you are more powerful than you. It means you're not able. It means that you're a weak victim. You don't know what to do. And here you stand blubbering before God. That's that's what it sounds like, if that's all he said. But you see, he didn't. 
he goes on, he says, we are powerless, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you, O Lord. Ah, so he is saying he is the dependent one that he's not drawing upon any of his own know-how and wisdom. He, he stands and says, of my own self, I can do nothing. I, I don't know how to handle this, but I know you do. And so our eyes are upon you. I, I, I'm not looking this way or that way. I'm not at this moment considering what they are threatening us with. My eyes are upon you. I'm expecting of you. That would be the meaning of it, wouldn't it? My eyes are upon you. I'm expecting. I'm anticipating you to work your wonders on our behalf. And so, you see, this gets to the very core of what a human being is. And also, it's the core of trust. And I've said it so many times, I don't know how many have really heard it. We were created to be dependent creatures. And the lie of Satan and everything of that lie that comes through every movie, every part of media that you ever see or hear is, no, you are not dependent You find your strength in yourself. But that's not so. Jesus, the the one who is the ultimate man, who not only reveals who God is, but reveals who we are, continually said, of my own self I can do nothing. Uh, He became human, and in becoming human, took that place for which human was created to receive life, to receive wisdom, to receive strength, to receive the love of God as a dependent, or the other word I use is derived. I, that's where I derive my life. Our eyes are upon you. I'm not looking into my own strength, nor am I looking at what they are saying. I'm looking to you. What's up, Lord? And what are you about to do? I, I have seen this more than once. Um, and the latest uh, was down at our creek that runs through our ranch. If you've been here, you know where I'm talking about. And, and when we have um, lots of rain or, or floods or whatever, um, all the stuff comes down the creek at a high speed, uh, carried on the waters, and, and it hits the trees that are around there and rapidly builds up a dam. And, and and so on one side, this vast lake is accumulating, and because the 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 all the stuff it's brought downstream has made the dam, and I I watched it happen. You you get um well I I would call it a straw. I mean it would look something like what you suck a coke through, but but it's a piece of grass with a is hollowed out, and. and Somehow, in all of that, it it has become aligned to the waters of the creek. You know what I mean? It's not this way, it's this way, and the water comes. And and you see it coming through the the piece of grass, the the straw. There is the river is coming through, and and there's a connection between the great... Um, build up on one side and what would be nothing here, but it's coming through the straw that's aligned in line with, with the water and so the water can come through. Uh, and I, I have, that, that's what's happening here. That's what happens when a person would seek the Lord. They come into alignment with the very heart of God so that through us humans there comes the river of life, we're aligned, and so his love comes through, and his strength and his wisdom comes through. That's what, that's what Jehoshaphat was doing. It's a marvelous thing. It didn't take me long to say that, did it? But in actual fact, um, the distractions 
that would forbid us saying that. Uh, well, put it this way. What He didn't say. You have to look back and say, well, he didn't say. What the, and when you see what he didn't say, you realize the marvelous thing that he did say. Because he didn't say, why did God allow this to happen? See, I said what I've just said didn't take long, but the trouble is questions like that come up to us. Why did God allow this to happen? You know, um, as I said, no one expected all these enemies to get together. And no, certainly no one expected them to use the route into Judah that they took. And so, I mean, couldn't you have told me about this, Lord? Couldn't couldn't you have let me have some idea that this was happening? It's probably taken them a few weeks to put all this together. If, if you'd have let me know about this, then I could have been ready for it instead of sending all my troops to other borders. I, I mean... Why did you let this happen, Lord? Because I'm a covenant man and you're our covenant God. I thought you were supposed to protect us. You, you know what I mean? It's the, the why can have many, many subsections to it. He didn't mention it. There's no, there's no question of why. In fact, if you study all of the communication of godly humans with their God, there's never why. Or Job certainly asks a few whys, but that's answered by God himself. Um, but as I go through the Psalms, uh, if, if the very idea of why comes up, they rapidly negate it with, with a positive statement. No, why is a distraction. It, that, that's not the point. It's happened and because I know that you never leave me and never forsake me, that you are here now with me as my heart beats in this moment. You, you are here and now. And so I am bold to joyfully and expectantly surrender to you and say, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's surrender. I, I, I'm, I'm looking to you now. I'm looking to you to make yourself known in this unique situation. To be known and known to our enemies as well as to us that you are the covenant God and the only God in this situation. And so, thus he speaks. And the response that came, remember in verse 15, listen all Judah and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord, the Spirit spoke through one of the prophets, do not fear, be dismayed. The battle is not yours, it's the Lord. Just a minute. I've heard that before. That's not unique to the... The prophet was actually doing what another part of Scripture commanded, but doing so in the specific direction of the Holy Spirit. Actually, it, the, the verse that I'm talking about is Deuteronomy 20. Deuteronomy, that book of the law that was to be the way that the kings of Judah govern their people, the, the book of Deuteronomy. And, and there in chapter 20... That chapter 20 of Deuteronomy will give you the key to all of the fantastic stories of the Old Testament. You know, David and Goliath, Gideon with his 300 men, and so on, and this is one of them. Um, what, what's going on? Well, Deuteronomy 20 anticipated that, made it the law of when you are attacked, this is what you do. Oh, it's a fantastic chapter, especially if you can take time to sort of put yourself into it when there's been an attack like this and all the, the men are called, we're going to go and fight and defend ourselves. But then just before they leave, the um, high priest comes out and says, now, now, relax, guys. 
And like the, he says, don't fear, don't fear, nobody fear, because the battle is not yours, it's the Lord, and God will fight for you. All he needs is a one person of faith, that's all, um, because this is his battle, and he is made to look so fantastic in the weakness and the helplessness of his people. So, if you feel weak and helpless, just know that God is going to be showing himself all the greater because of your known weakness. So, have a high priest, uh, and then the general would come out and say, well, chaps, um, if, if that's what the high priest said, and he speaks for the Lord, I don't suppose we need all of you, do we? So, if anybody has just built a house, well, it'd be a shame to go off to battle when you just built a Go home and enjoy the house. You just got married, go home and enjoy your wife. You planted a vineyard, go and make sure there's wine for us when we get back. And everybody was dropping out of line, you see, and everybody was wishing they'd just built a house. And and so, and so, then he said, is anybody scared? Well, we don't need you here, because that, that can uh, get into everybody. So, so if you're scared, you can go. Well, it didn't leave too many, you see. But they they said, well, that's it. Now, with what's left, men of faith in God, knowing their own weakness, anything can happen. And so that was the law of the battle. And it's repeated all through the Old Testament. You should get a hang of that. And um, because it's, it's, I mean, you're facing what you're facing right now. You've had your own bunch of enemies coming against you and you've fettled it like a sucker punch and your breath has been taken away. Well, hear the word of the Lord. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. The battle is not yours, but God's. You need not fight in this battle. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Do not fear or be dismayed. The Lord is with you. That's the word of God to us that comes from this story in the Old Testament. All that was demanded is that in a position of weakness that fitted what Jehoshaphat had said, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. So in my weakness, he said, stand, go out, face that enemy, Stand and see what I'm going to do. So your weakness presented with anticipation, expectancy, and reception of God's strength for that moment. So, you see, trust is not passive. He didn't say, just sit down in the bleachers here and watch what I'm going to do. He said, no, just, just give me a handful of men of faith, men who simply trust me, even when uh, the situation that's facing you seems so big and so impossible. Give me a handful of persons that trust me, and, and let's go. Let, let's do this together. You're not passive. You're actively involved. Why, why, why couldn't God just do it? Well, if you're talking about could, yes, he could, but he doesn't. From the beginning of the scripture, he doesn't because in creating us, he created not only those who are his beloved, but those that he has chosen to be his partners. If you're a human being, you are the beloved of this incredible God and you were created to be his partner in bringing his will on earth as it is in heaven. And the action of trust is to act as if, act as if God's up to his bringing his will to, to earth. Anticipate Get some emotions involved. Remember those Levite chaps? They, 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 with a loud voice, they praise God. Boy, this is going to be fantastic. They, they expected of him. But what do you see? Well, if you're going to depend on your five senses, what do you see? You, you see nothing but 
disaster. I mean, we don't have that long because we've just got the intelligence and they're marching against us and they're going to be almost on our doorstep by tomorrow morning. So we're not sitting back. There's going to be action and it will be action, but it will not be action drawing out of our strength but it will be action trusting in the invisible but utterly real God and his action. Do do, do you follow me? If I look at what is visible to my senses, then I, I sink down in despair. But what he's saying is, this, this is my battle. I'm fighting for you. I'm protecting you. I am your covenant God. You are my covenant children. So therefore, I see, and this is in Hebrews 11, it says, seeing the invisible. Sounds, sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? You see the invisible. Um, what is it, 2 Corinthians 5, where Paul says that the things that are passing away, you see them, but the things that are rooted in unending are invisible. And so they look to God, invisible, and they trusted the invisible, not the visible. And so they went out trusting in God. How can I say this? They, they were trusting the invisible, which says that this is all done and finished. God says the battle is mine. The, the Lord says you don't need to fight. It's a done deal, done deal, done deal. You do not, what, what this whole chapter is about, is not doing something to make God act. It's rather doing something that is celebrated or celebrating that he's now acting, that, that it's a done deal with God. That, that's so important. I, I know many dear people, and they believe if they confess something over and over and over again, it will happen. No, that's, that's new age. That, that's positive thinking. No, the, the, what we're talking about here is God has broken into their senses and said, I've, I'll handle this. I've got it. I've got this. And so what do I do then? I join him, but to give him thanks that he has got it, that, that he is. I'm riding on his invisible hand. We're not begging him to do something. We're not trying to make a deal with him by saying something over and over again. Rather, we are celebrating that the invisible God, not apparent to senses, has got this visible problem all under his care. And so what are we going to do? He appointed these Levites. They were the sort of deacons and workers and choir members and orchestra members of the temple. And... um, that was their anointing. That was their enablement. And, and, and so that's, it comes on them. They're, they're, they're the ones. They are going to go out ahead of the army. Not that the army was very strong, because as I said, the majority of, of the army was elsewhere. And, and so the army really doesn't count. That They are, the sight of the army was weakness. But you you see something? Well, it's more than weak. It borders on the ridiculous. The Levites, these priest assistants in, in the temple, the, the singing men of the temple, that would make a name for their group, wouldn't it? The singing men of the temple, the singing Levites, and they are to go ahead of the army, We're not sending out the big guns and and the snipers. No, we're sending the choir from the temple to sing and to sing to the Lord. And they're going to sing of covenant expectancy. They're going to sing of his covenant character. This is one point where I wish I had more time um, and not just what I'm trying to get out of this. Um, they sang. And, and of course, you will find all through the Psalms the, the commands to sing uh, praise to God. 
do, do you realize that singing is something quite different to speaking? Quite different. And in terms of trying to understand a voice speaking as a voice singing, um, the, the, a voice, it's a sound, it's a vibration. Uh, the vibration down here. And, and the vibration of singing does something to the singer even as it does something to those who hear. Did you know that every organ of your body, which goes down to the the DNA of your body, did you know it has a vibration? And did you know that that vibration is a song? It's a sound of song. Did you know that in some areas here in the U.S., they are trying to get a copyright on your DNA so they can sell it as a song? Ridiculous. But it, it the song of the Lord, it means that the very energy vibration and who is that? For there's no it with God, the Holy Spirit, the very breath of God. He who is the power, the ability, the energy of God going forth. They sang to the Lord. And the very power of God was in that song. And what did they sing? The loving kindness. They said, give thanks to God. Um, where, where is he appointed them? And, it, and, they, and they said, they sang, we find out in a minute. They sang, give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. Loving kindness, that is the Old Testament word for his covenant love. His love that will not let us go. Love that says that I will die rather than let you go. God would cease to be rather than cease loving you. He has sworn the oath of covenant upon his own person. And loving kindness is that love going forth. You realize that loving kindness and also the New Testament word agape um, is a verb. Have you ever thought about it? It's not a thing you stick on the shelf and say, well, God, God love, you know, and you, you learned that and then they gave you an A in the exam. No, loving kindness is a verb. Loving kindness and, and agape, God love, is always love in action. It's never love to be beheld as something in a holy museum. Love is an action word. So you always read of God doing loving kindness or keeping loving kindness. It's his covenant love. He'll never leave you. He cannot leave you. It is the intensity of the must of God. He is love, you see. And so they sang, but it says that they they sang it, this uncreated love. You know what I mean by that? It had no beginning. God is uncreated and his love and the very energy of that love is uncreated. It's not part of creation. It is his love coming into us and it's unending. He said it endures. It's everlasting, which is an awkward word in English. In Hebrew, the word everlasting actually means um, from, um, well, the, what, how can you put it, from vanishing point to vanishing point. That, that is, when I look back, I, I, I can, it just goes into the mist. God's love has always been there. And I look forward, and it goes on and on until I can't see it anymore. From vanishing point to vanishing point, that's your love. And I look outward, what could happen? And I go to vanishing point, there is nothing that can separate me from the love of God. And David, on another occasion, sang and said, your loving kindness is higher than outer space. The universe is about as big as we can imagine. Well, he says, your loving kindness is bigger than that. It holds the universe. Unending. And he said, 
But everlasting means from vanishing point to vanishing point, and it's all here and now in this moment. And so they sang. But it says they gave thanks, and what they gave thanks for was this loving kindness that could, you couldn't fathom the beginning, end, or space of it. Now, giving thanks. Oi. It's again, I need time, but just enough to say it has nothing to do with how we use the word, at least here in the West. You know, you, you, you give me something, or even you open the door for me. I mean, it, you do something for me, for me. And my response is, thank you. That is, I thank you for what you did for me or gave to me. But that's not, no. In the scripture, but the fact is, the better translation, uh, I'm I'm sorry, because this, I know people get a little tired of me continually saying the translation, but you see, words is all we've got. If if you don't understand what I mean by a word, then you'll never understand what I'm saying. And and giving thanks in the Hebrew meaning of the term is far better, far better translated by the word confession. That's what it meant. Because giving thanks was to thank God for being who he is. Not something he did, but who he is and all that he is committed to be, and therefore giving thanks to God for who I am, for I find my very beginning and origin in God, and and all that I am is in his action in Jesus Christ. And so giving confession of who God is. Well, the word confession, and I think I've told you this before, Our English word confession comes from Latin, confess. And con in Latin means with. Confession means to say together with. Did you get that? To confess means to say the same thing as. And so when it says give thanks, it is, it means say the same thing as. It means say together with. So, who said it first that I say the same thing? Who am I saying this with? With God himself. Confession or giving thanks is to say with God all that he is. It is to say together with God the content of his glory and his beauty and his love and his strength. It is me, the little human, who has joined my voice to the voice of God to say with God who he is. But that means that I join with him to say with him what he thinks about me. And what he has planned to do for me. We're all bound up because I don't have existence without him. I'm, I'm, I'm not even a breath without him. And therefore to confess him is also to confess my place because of him. Saying together, saying the same. The declaration of God being the covenant God. Look, this isn't my idea, you see. It's not Jehoshaphat's idea. It's not David's idea in the Psalms. It's not Paul's and all the rest of them. It's not. This is what God is saying, and we confess that and declare it, that God is the covenant God, that his loving kindness is bigger than the universe, it is from vanishing point to vanishing point, and I can never find an end, let alone a beginning. And his faithfulness, he will never leave and never forsake, and he said that. And so from my little human side, I join my voice and say, yes, his loving kindness is from everlasting to everlasting. That's the way it is. 
And, and in so doing, what's happened? I've, I've opened myself up to him. I have totally... I'm not thinking this, you see. I, they sang it, remember? We sent the, the vibration of God's love through every organ of my body. In a day like they were in, you don't have private little silent thoughts because they just get mixed up with the chaos going on inside of you. No, the, the method, if I dare use that word, in, in which we discard the report of our senses as to what the visible says is going on. The method is that I sing, I say, I chant, do what you will, but you speak it. I'll confess this as absolute truth, final truth, absolute reality. The loving kindness of God, which is always doing and being and keeping toward us, is from vanishing point to vanishing point. You see what I mean? You're not trying to earn something. You're declaring it is so. It's a done deal. It's fact. I'm expectantly. I'm emotionally, joyfully yielding to him. Which means that the very power of God's word is in my mouth. Remember it says in, in Proverbs that the, on the tongue is the power of life, the power of death. Well, I've just illustrated from this, that, that's life. I am proclaiming into the atmosphere of this world. I am hurling my song into the face of the oncoming enemy. Therein is the power of God life. There is his protecting love released within my little world. Power of death. Well, I'll only reference it. I don't have time to go there. But um, every time one complains, you've released the power of death both inside yourself and outside to anybody who's listening. And actually, all complaint, the Scripture says, is directed ultimately at God. All negativity, all sorrow and sighing and misery, when, when, you, when you're, you're bathing in it and speaking it, and it's power of death. Anyway, I'll leave that. These, these people had opened their entire being and were receiving the loving kindness of God and they're sending it out in their praise. They're, they're praising God. That's the point. You don't get mixed up with the enemy. They're, they're not throwing loving kindness at the enemy. They are declaring truth and that is truth. There's only one God and that God is a covenant God of loving kindness and that, that's it. That in itself is enough to dissolve, collapse the enemy power. You see, his loving kindness. Well, loving kindness, that, that's the order of God. That, that's love. That's harmony. That's wholeness. That's healing. And what those en that, that enemy or any enemy in our life, it's chaos. I mean, chaos. Uh, he said this, she said that. They're planning this and they're planning that and, and it's all moving together. And the report of sickness is that, that the cells of your body are in chaos. And, and here is the love, the covenant love of God that declares, I am your order, I am your harmony, I am your wholeness. And... Speaking that with authority, the authority of God. I didn't make it up. I'm saying it with him. And, and, and the words of our mouth that are spoken to him in praise and worship. I, I don't know how to say it, but it, it brings the whole area of life, all my circumstances under the authority of truth. Or, or shall I say, that's where the battle is. I'm, I'm giving praise to God, but 
In so doing, I am declaring to everything around me there is only one God and everything around me come into now order, come into harmony with that one and only God who is love. And so by so doing, a helpless man receiving the loving kindness of God and responding with praise and worship to God by confessing and declaring with God this is the way things are. And the result was it's in that, what shall I say, that radiant glory in that You do realize that when you are involved in thus worshiping God and giving praise in confessing who he is, you do realize something is happening in the invisible world. Please understand that. It says here that when they began thus to confess the glory of God, then, I mean, it's when, then, when they started that, then, all the strategy of the enemy fell to pieces. You see, this is the very opposite of the lie agenda. The lie says it's all in you, it's all up to you, you're the master, you're a god in your own right, now go and do the best you can. And, and, and that's chaos. And chaos produces chaos. But he was a man who steps into his dependency. His eyes are upon God and God says, this is who I am. And the man says, yes, this is who you are. And all of the glory of God breaks loose. There's a psalm, psalm number 50, and it's verse 23. You might have heard me talk about it before. It's a great great verse. It says, he who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving. That doesn't mean that you give thanks to God when you don't feel like it. Oh, please. A sacrifice is something you offer directly to God. We've turned it down to, it's something I do that makes me feel bad. Please, get back to basics. A sacrifice, you offered that to God. And so, who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving, or as using what I've just said, who offers to God a saying together with him. And he says, he who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. Yes, honors him. For for you have stated into the darkness of the situation the truth concerning who he is. And then it says, And to him who orders his way aright, I shall show the salvation of God. That is a very difficult sentence in in the language David wrote it in, Hebrew. Um, So it says that you offer to God this confession of who he is. And then let me translate which some of the greatest Hebrew scholars have translated it such, that you offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving, of of saying together with God who he is, to honor him. And now I translate, to such an one prepares a way along which I will grant to him to see the salvation of God along which I will grant him a rapturous vision of the full reality of my salvation. Did you hear that? Did you understand what I was doing? I was translating that last verse. To him who orders his way aright, I will show the salvation of God. Translated, to such a one prepares a way along which I will grant to him to see the salvation of God, or along which I will grant him a rapturous vision of the full reality of my salvation. As we confess, as we say together with God who he is, and therefore who he is in this situation, and who he is in me, 
as I confess that, as final truth. Not debating the circumstance, not asking why, not complaining, but confessing this is who you are. The invisible, and I know what the visible says, it contradicts it, but you're the only real. That which contradicts is not the real. You are the real. You are the true. And I offer that as a sacrifice of confession. This is who you are. And this is who you are in this moment, here and now. And this is who you've made me and who you are in me. And to that one, he says, to that one, I'll open up a way. A pathway will open up. And you will walk along that pathway with song in your heart and on your mouth. And on that pathway, I will open up to you a vision of my salvation, my deliverance that surpasses all that you've ever thought of. Well, that's, that's, what, that's what happened, you see. That's what happened. Their joy song brought confusion to the powers of darkness. That is always the case. Satan cannot stand joy Satan falls apart at the sound of joy song. It it was as if they became confused, blinded, stupid, and they produced chaos in their own ranks and began to kill each other and remembered all the reasons why they were enemies in the past. By the time Judah showed up, finally the choir got there, it was all over. Can you can you see this? Some some things are a lot easier seen in your imagination than try to be said. That as these men, this choir, the temple men, singing their song of loving kindness, which was saying together with God who He is, in the invisible world, waves of the Holy Spirit energy, Holy Spirit power, the dunamis radiated from their song. It's the same thing as in, do you remember Zephaniah 3.17? Speaking of our God as the mighty warrior, warrior, it says he sings over us. Yes, he sings over us. I've got to quit, but just let me ask you the question, what would have happened if they'd not given thanks, but rather defaulted to the fear and and ended up complaining, blaming, and all manner of negativity? That's an honest question. I, I'm, I'm not going to have every head bowed and every eye closed sort of stuff. I, it's a question. What would have happened? I mean, we know what happened here. But what would have happened if they had gone the route that so many do go? And now I say it's a question because it points up the incredible, and I have to say exciting to the point of almost no words, the freedom that our God has given to us. When he said he made us in his own image, he meant it. He he shares with us his own freedom. Because you've got Scripture. You know, I mean, the the old one when they stood, you know, a long time before this, stood at Kadesh Barnea and the ten spies came back and said, we can't go in, and the two said, we can, and, and the people chose the ten that they chose the very reverse of what Jehoshaphat chose. What happened? Well, for an entire generation, they wandered in circles and never did taste of the inheritance that God gave them. Uh, And you say, well, couldn't God have stopped that? That's a silly question. Some questions don't have answers because it's the wrong question. We have been created. We are wired for freedom. Freedom to trust 
God when he's very invisible and distrust what is very visible when it contradicts who he is and to speak and to sing of his being covenant loving kindness into the midst of life over our life with authority and to see what he does well uh, I could keep going but I'm not that's it I think I've said enough Um, and, and I have that real sense that there are persons who yeah, you, you, you've, you've had exactly what happened to Jehoshaphat. Then go and listen to this hour again and recognize that this adventure, there's no other word for it, of confession, of saying together with God the final and ultimate that which is now and see what he will do. And now the blessing of God who is our almighty warrior who sings his song over us, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our understanding that we may see the invisible and walk in this world but not of it confessing your glory and greatness. Into your hands we commend ourselves with expectancy and joy. That is the way it is.